Lord, we love you. And I pray tonight that as we take a snapshot of why it is that we exist, why we are even here. Come now, Holy Spirit, touch my heart, my tongue. Breathe on me that anointing, that anointing that you give to me so that I am able to preach your word in a way within my natural ability that I cannot do. But when your power from on high, the spirit of the living God breathes on a finite human being, it is then we are able to live the life that you came to give to us. A life that is empowered by your spirit. Father, that's what we need. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Don't want to waste any time. I know we have some football fanatics, but we're going to be meeting at the building. So if, if you want to just come in and eat some good food, we're going to have a lot of it. Purchase some wings across the street and, you know, not to brag on Mr. White across the street, but not because he's in Fairfield, but he has some of the best wings in all of west side of Birmingham, from my perspective. But to the word of God, we're going to stop here in Romans chapter 11. Just a few short verses. Here we go. Oh, the depth of the riches in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has seen, who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, we ended Romans 8 with verse 31 to 39 concerning the assurance of our salvation that God has granted to us in Jesus Christ. Next week, I will start Romans chapter 12, which addresses how then shall we live in light of this great salvation that has been granted to us, which Paul says is our true worship. 
Our sermon tonight, God's message to the children of God, glorify God. The word glorify means to honor with praise and admiration, to praise the glory of God, especially as an act of worship. Last Friday, we had our first um, elder and deacon training at Urban Hope, and we had it at 6 a.m. in the morning. And part of that training will be learning from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. A catechism is a summary of biblical questions and answers used for instructing Christians. If you ever wanted to really teach your kids how to understand the word of God in the Bible, catechism is the best way of doing that. It has been proven to be an effective way of learning biblical truths about God and the word of God. But the first question in the Westminster Catechism, it gets at the heart of why we exist. Why are you here tonight? Why did God create us? And why did God even make, why did God even make life even a possibility? Knowing full well in advance that human beings who are made in his image and in his likeness with a free will to disobey him, that they would sin against him and therefore redemption of some kind would be needed. Why? Well, the Westminster answers this question with a resounding response in the very first question in that catechism by asking this question, what is the chief end of man or humankind or human beings? What is the chief end of man? It's the first question that people teach their children. Why do you live? What do you exist for? Why are you here? And they answer it this way. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The first seven chapters of Romans explains the amazing truths of the gospel. First, the corrupt and fallen condition of all humanity, both Jew and Gentile. That justification that we have, that it comes by faith. It's not osmosis, but it comes by faith. Believing in the story of the cross, that one that we celebrate as the Christmas story, who came to rescue us, to sozo us from our sins, whereby we are justified. Thirdly, those first seven chapters taught us that we have union with Christ that comes by salvation through Christ alone and not through our works or our self-efforts. And then in chapter eight, which is called, as I said last week, one of the best chapters in all of scripture, according to a lot of theologians and people 
who read their Bible daily. Which starts out by saying in verse eight, verse one, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That we have a sure assurance of salvation that we would never, as I preached last week, under no circumstances, that we would never, never, never be separated from the love of God, of the love of Christ. And then in chapters 9 through 11, Paul points out that our salvation is all about God's sovereign choice to have mercy upon whom he desires to have mercy upon in order to make known the riches of his glory. But tonight, brothers and sisters, I am going to focus my attention on the last three verses in chapter 11. But let me pause here for a moment. But I would encourage all of you that are serious readers of the word of God in the Bible. I really thought hard about this. Should I preach Romans 9 through 11? And I thought about it and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it because it's it is probably um, if you think Romans 8:28 is hard, um, just reading Romans 9 will <laughs> it will make you go drink a lot of sweet tea. And so I would encourage you and everyone to read chapters 9, 10, and 11 slowly, not quickly, not in a hurry. Just read it slowly over the next week. And just allow the spirit of God to enhance your finite mind to the bigness. And I mean bigness and the bigness of God in all things. It will take you there. And so this is why Apostle Paul, who wrote chapters 9 and 11 and all of Romans, who comes to a place where he himself just have to start praising and glorifying God. Verse 33 to 36 is where Paul, scholars say he goes from theology to doxology, where theology turns to poetry. Paul just can't, I mean, he's been writing about God and his salvation and saving sinners and saving Jew and Gentile and how it has been accomplished in the work of Christ. And then Paul just comes to the point of himself in verse 33 where he just goes into a what some would say if you're in a Pentecostal background. We're not that here at Urban Hope. But if you just Paul just almost probably start running around somewhere in the jail cell where he can't contain himself. His theology goes from that to doxology. To poetry. And doxology is an expression of praise to God. So him. Apostle Paul is he's overwhelmed by the by the mercies of God in salvation, as he has been explaining. Throughout the book of Romans. 
He's overwhelmed. He's overtaken by the mercies of God. Which Romans 12, which we will deal with, get to that point which Paul starts out because of these mercies. What shall we do? How then shall we live? But before Paul gets there, he's he just goes into a doxologies. He's overtaken by the mercies of God as it relates to salvation. The drama of redemption that has been lavished upon Jew and Gentile alike. And these mercies, they lead Paul into a hymn of praise and worship adoration because of the transcendent that's a big word. That's incomprehensible attributes of God. Paul is caught up in verse 33 and 36. And so he gets into explaining and he starts out in verse 33. You can put it up here on the board, Carl. He's just like, if you've ever seen someone just someone that's praying and they're calling upon God and, and they're just in a place of desperation. Paul goes, oh, oh, that's how some of y'all going to feel tonight when Brady gets intercepted. Oh, it's gonna, it, it kind of hit you in the gut when Holmes just throw touchdown at the touchdown. You don't go, oh. And Paul's going, oh, it's like, oh, the depth of the riches. Oh, the depth of the riches. This Greek word, plutos, meaning abundance of possessions, exceeding the norm. This depth refers to the inexhaustibility of God. All oh, the depth of his riches and his mercy. All oh, the depths. Man, someone needs to hear that. Oh, it's, it's unlimited supply. It never runs dry. It's not like the stock market goes up and goes down. You got to kind of see it, what it's going to land. No, Paul says, oh, it, it's, it's, in, Paul said, it's inexhaustible. I can't understand it. It is all the depth of his riches. You can hear his praise, his adoration, his, his, his hymn, Paul, his poetry. It's like, oh, as he's reflecting on this God. And the works of salvation. And then Paul goes on to say, all oh, the depths of his riches and his wisdom, the Sophia, the Greek word Sophia, the wisdom of God. This is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. I mean, God, it's just, God makes no mistakes. I mean, it is perfect articulation, perfect end. No chance his, his wisdom brings about his plans to a perfect end. 
Paul says, Oh, the depth of his riches and his wisdom. His wisdom to, to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning. So that there is, there can be no need to guess. God never guess. You and I have to guess on what to do in the stock market. Some of you who are investors. God never guesses. J.I. Packer, great Bible scholar, says this wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Paul doesn't stop there. He's all oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge, gnosis. This gnosis means the gathering of information. God knows all the information. And studying for this, and I didn't put it in my notes, but the Holy Spirit is bringing it back to me. God never has to go somewhere and ask a question. Let that sink in. How do, I, how do I need to do this? God never, he, he, that, that never happens with him. He has perfect knowledge of you. He knows every hair upon your head. He knows every wrinkle in your face. He knows every tear that you cry. He knows every hurt from afar. He knows every pain that you will experience. He knows every scar that's on your heart tonight. He knows every worry that you worry with. He knows every anxiety that you carry. God, perfect knowledge of you. In fact, Psalms 139, my favorite psalm, say he knew you and I before we were formed in our mother's wombs. Perfect knowledge. Let that sink in. Man, everything. We're in a community of pure brokenness. And one of the things I'm trying to communicate to people who may not have the faith where I'm at tonight, but I want them to see that everything about your life, God already saw it and he sees it. And this for is not no accident. And you may not understand that, but God says, trust me, my Sophia, my wisdom will work out. It will work it out. It will bring it to pass. You may not see it on this side, but God said, trust me, if you're mine, I'm going to work it out to your good. I don't have very little child pictures of myself. Um, very little. Any. Really don't have any. And I asked the Lord a few weeks ago, so Lord, I don't really know how to even conjure up my childhood. And today, sitting on my couch, my sister Tony at my brother Andre's um, funeral, the obituary, my sister took a picture and sent it to me. And I showed it to Sandra. 
And she came in the room. Before she came in, she probably could hear me because I was already bellowing. I was, oh, I was wailing. And it just reminded me. And one of the days I'll show it to the congregation. You're going to see your pastor. For those of you who are from Fairfield, why God has us here. I know. I know fatherlessness. I know poverty. I don't know mine, no ability to conceive an identity. I know it. If you see the picture, I look like a kid from a third world country. Sandra saw it. She said, wow, I had no shirt on. I had some big bare bottom pants on like John Travolta with a belt, a rope or something tied around me. And my wife, first thing she says, look at your bones. You can see my ribs. And you wonder why I say we ate from a dump. But even in that, God was still wisdom. It's being worked out. And it's working out even the fact that I'm here in Fairfield for such a time as this to tell the Fairfieldians, to tell those young men, and those young girls that have been abused and abandoned and all of the above at miles, that there is a God in heaven who knows and sees more than what you can ever even imagine. And this knowledge, Paul says, this gnosis, wisdom is directs all things to the best end Knowledge knows the end. God knows the end. And Paul says, oh, the depth of his wisdom, riches, and the wisdom and the knowledge. And then Paul goes into how unsearchable. One translation says how unfathomable his judgments his justice, how unfathomable, how incomprehensible, Paul says. His judgments, Paul says, and untraceable his ways. You can't track them. Isaiah 55, verse 8, Isaiah says it like this when he says this way, God says, for my thoughts, are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for as the heavens is higher than the earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, in my world and in your world, I would have never put me in Sardis. I would never allow for that to be. Those are not my ways. You would never allow for the home that you've been born into where there was never no dad, no loving home, no loving family, no meal at the table. It's always been a fight from day one. Someone is always addicted to something, never been a home of peace. You would never have chosen that. And neither would I. But what does God say to a people who's born in a world of brokenness and sin and decay? Are his hands 
too short to heal. It's his power too impotent to touch and to make well. I dare say not. And so Paul says his ways the untraceable. And then he goes into by asking some questions, which comes out of Isaiah, verse 34. Well, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? What counselor did God go to? Hey, I need some help. I created an earth and <laughs> Lucifer Slootfoot has come in. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Help me out. God says, who is my counselor that I would go to and ask for some help? Help me out here. Next verse 35. And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? God says, who is it I owe a debt to? Who, who, who has loaned me some money? Who has loaned me some mercy? That I must pay them back for their good works and their good deeds. Find them. Go search the heavens and the heavens and the highways. If there's some highways in heaven and some byways in the universe, go search them. See if there's anybody I've kept loan God alone. One of them urban loans in the hood where they give you high interest. And then he gets to this verse. We try to describe God and who he is, try to describe God. We really run out of words trying to describe his attributes. It's kind of what Paul does. He's just like, man, I can, I can just throw up attributes or descriptions of God. It's, I just can't really just, how many can you come up with? And so Paul, um, like we do at times, he just, he just said, look, I'm just going to get right to it. Verse 36. And so we join with Paul by saying these words. And he starts out by saying in verse 36, says, for from him, from him, this from him meaning we exist and we live. And we have our very being because it's from him who created us. It's from him. It's not from anyone else. It's not from no doctor. It's not from no scientist. It's not from no mad scientist. It's from him that we exist. It's from him. Do you not know there was a time when there was nothing but God? No trees. No matter, no sun or moon, no stars, but God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God, out of the overflow of that which we hardly can, can even articulate, decides to say, I'm going to create what we all see now. When we take the telescope, God said, let there be. And Paul says, it's from him. 
that you exist. It's from him that you have your hand. It's from him that you have hair. It's from him that you have your hands. It's from him that you have the mind and the intellect. It's from him. It's from him. And then Paul says, in this doxology, it's from him and through him. It's from him and through him. And John 1, 3 says, isn't this through him that all things were created through him? All things. Think about all things. See, when you're out walking sometimes, this is how my mind works. And I'm just a kid from Sardis. But every now and then I go and sit down by a bench up there in Midfield when I go for a walk. And I'm just amazed. I see the littles, as little as insects. And I say, from him and through him, that was created. I don't know why. God, I say, why do you make this little, little, barely ant type insect that hardly nobody can see? But it's from him and through him. All things were created that has been created. That's what John 1, 3 says. And then Revelation 4 says, which is what I've been reading every day in Revelation 5. Revelation 4 is they worship God. And when John says, it's by your will. It's by your will they exist and were created. I don't know why you're here and why you exist. It's from him and through him. And then it gets to this point. Paul says, it's from him and through him. To him who sits on the throne. So I sing it every day. Got to hear the words in Revelation 4. I can, I can hear them. When the angels, the 24 elders, and the four, four living creatures, day and night, to him who sits on the throne. It's for him be the glory, be the doxa. Forever. Amen. Why do you exist? It's for his glory. Why did he create life? It's for his glory. Why did he allow evil to exist in a universe? It's for his glory. Why is there a redemption story? And narrative in the universe where he is the main protagonist, main character in the story. The whole universe is for his glory. He's the main character. It's not me and you. It is him who sits on the throne. He's the main actor. Everyone is waiting for him to talk. Everyone is waiting for him to get up. Everyone is waiting for him to come out from behind the curtain. It is him. It is not us. It's for his glory. 
It was for his glory that he sat down in his own mind and made humans. It is for his glory. And his story that we call the gospel, where he is the main character, the main protagonist. But more importantly, in that story, why did he choose you and I? That's why you got to read Romans 19 and 11. And read all of Romans. Why did he choose you here tonight? Out of the trillions of people and the billions of people. When I saw that picture, I said, God, I don't even know why you would even stop by Sardis, let alone call me out of it. But you did. And I still don't know why. So why did he choose us? Why did he adopt us as the children of God out of all the trillion of people that he's created? Why? Paul says it's from him and through him and to him all things for his glory. That's why. It's for his glory. That we would glorify him as we peruse and think and meditate and set our mind on this story as you sit here tonight and you're in your right mind and you're not dead and you love Jesus. God wants you to think about that. And as you think about it and, and songs come to your mind, you just want to sing oh, for your glory, for your glory. I will do anything. It's for your glory. It's for your glory, Jesus. You are the cornerstone. I will praise you, Jesus. That's why we were made. That's why we were created. We're all because of for his glory. And Luke 24, 44 to 47. Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you, talking to his disciples on the Emmaus road while I was still with you that everything that was written about me in the law of Moses see here's this main character in the story every time you pick up the Bible it's all about him from Moses he says that everything that was written was about me in the law of Moses it's not about the prosperity preacher and what his house and what he gets. It's about me. Jesus, it's about me. It's about me. I'm the main actor. I'm the main storyline. I'm the one. It's about me and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus said, it's about me and they must be fulfilled. What must be fulfilled? And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what was written. What was written, Jesus? I'm the main storyline in the story. But the king who made a people for himself fell into a hog pen and got all messed up. But I'm a good king. I'm a loving king. I'm a good king. And Jesus says, that king came down stairway of heaven. 
put on human flesh. Stepped into our world. Stepped into our world of fatherlessness. Man, he came down to Sardis. He said, I see your tongue. I see your stomach. I see your heart. But I'm going to untie it. I'm going to clean you up. He says that the Messiah, the one that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, that the Messiah would do what? He will suffer. Jesus said, I'm going to be beaten on your behalf, Alton. You may not understand it why I'm being beaten for you, but I'm going to take some bruises and some licks for you. And Jesus said, I was beaten. I'm a good king. And I come to get my sheep. I come to get them that are lost. I come to get them that are burning down, them that are in captivity. I come to get them and the Messiah will suffer. And he will die. And but Jesus said, and then I will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem and throughout the whole earth. And that salvation has come all the way to Fairfield. It's right in this room tonight. That would suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. And then Jesus, in that same Luke's chapter, tell his apostles, Verse 14 says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, in the Luke 24, he's already suffering and died and come back. But here he hasn't died yet. And now we get to why we celebrate this. He says, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But all of the saints down through the history around that great table and there's a spread and there's our king and there's our groom, the bride of Christ. And then he took the cup, cup of wine. And after giving thanks, he said, take this And share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then the Bible says, and then he took the bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them 
and said, this is for my glory. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And 1 Corinthians says, do this also in remembrance of me. Let me pray. Father in heaven, everything we do, everything we are, is for your glory. I tried to get to Romans 12, but your spirit led me to just to stop by and to help the people to know. You wanted them to, to know the reason for their existence is for your glory. Even this table that we're about to partake is for your glory. It's from you and through you and to you all things are. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your son Jesus, who now sits to the right hand of you, living to always make intercessory for us. I pray tonight, Lord, as we come to this table to receive of this meal, that you would encourage the faint-hearted, those who are weak and feeble in their faith, but yet trusting in you and your work. I pray you replenish them tonight by your spirit. This I pray in your name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, um, just one warning. Um, this is a gospel story. And um, if you believe that gospel story, then you are free and I would encourage you to come to the Lord's table and to receive of this elements. But the word of God is very cautious to warn those who are not quite there in their faith and maybe they don't believe, maybe they holding on to Allah or Buddha or some other faith that is not of a real genuine biblical faith, then the word of God would say not to come and partake of these elements because by doing that, you would bring condemnation. You will be condemned. Romans 8.1 can't overcompensate for that. Those who are, have no condemnation, they have come to put their faith in Jesus. Therefore, they know and believe in our hearts. Therefore, they are justified. And so if you were in that state tonight, I would encourage you to talk to one of the leaders here, me, Chad, Dion, Patrick, one of the brothers, sisters and ask what could I do so that I can come to that table and we would welcome you like God has welcomed many down through the ages. Uh, Brother Mike is not here so who's going to, Chad's going to come and 
do the rolls and we're gonna come and we're gonna take it all at one time. And so Brother Chad's gonna come and have your stand and come up, go around, he can explain it. And then we will. Yeah, I'll just dismiss row by row and take the bell. 